Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Thursday, we'll talk some USC football with Dan Weber, our beat writer and columnist over at uscfootball.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the Harvey Hyde show from yesterday. We're going to squeeze in one more before I'm going out of town again, so we're going to talk to Dan Weber today about the USC Trojan football team. You guys have already sent in a bunch of questions. If you want to send in more, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com. That's our email address, or you can call or text. Our number is 424-254-9141. You can leave a voicemail or send us a text, and we will read it or play it on the Parastyle Podcast. You want to subscribe? We're on iTunes, itunes.com slash Parastyle Podcast, plus a lot of other podcasting hosting areas like Audio Boom and Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio and Google Play, so... Anyway, you want to download the podcast, we appreciate it. We just love that you're listening. We've been doing this. This will be our 10th football season. So thanks for staying with us. And for the new people, thanks for uh, finding out about our little show and uh, listening in. We do appreciate all of that. Uh, so we're going to talk with Dan Weber. Uh, we've got a couple weeks left of summer workouts. we got fall camp coming up at the end of the month. we got Pac-12 media days. It's almost here, Dan. It's almost time. Yep. Uh, not. Uh, I was just noticing... <laughs> The uh, SEC has media days uh, starting early next week, and uh, I think they're bringing 42 players to uh, to media day starting early next week. So uh, the Pac-12 is never going to be in that place, and 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 yet uh, it just is amazing to, to think that college football is that close, and uh, in places like the SEC, you know, it's like that's all they got. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I like when the I think the the the, the uh, July 26th, 27th date for the Pac-12 is is about right, and I mean still you know with USC starting practice uh, or reporting the next day, starting the day after, you know they're still going to be there for five weeks before the season. You know first game kicks off, and then uh, you know 12 straight weeks for uh, the regular season without a bye. So that's plenty long. I don't think you know you needed uh, to. To, to get it started any sooner. This is just about right. Yeah, I think you're right. It is just about right. And uh, it's coming around the corner. It's very close. And uh, one of the other things that's very close before we jump into uh, the rest of the show, Dan, I don't know if you've seen the flyover of uh, the USC Village over at the, yes. uh, you know, across the street. Yeah. That's almost done. I think it's August when it's opening up. And uh, it looks pretty spectacular. Yeah, I think there are... Uh, for those of you who like to peruse the uh, uh, UCLA boards, they're probably guys throwing themselves off buildings with the, at the thought that they can't <laughs> come after the University of South Central anymore uh, or what have you, because that that University Village is so spectacular. Uh, I mean, it, uh, there's nothing like it in in college, in, you know, in America. I mean, there really isn't. I mean, to be you know that close to you know, the, one of the biggest, you know, cities, in, you know, in America and one of the, you know, special places in the world, 
and yet to have that kind of a you know uh, uh, it's it's sort of a campus facility but it's also it's kind of its own place and it's going to have you know uh, you know restaurants and uh you know retail and libraries and you know classrooms and you know housing and all that it's pretty amazing uh it's just uh it's just kind of hard to describe because you can't really compare it to to something else because there's nothing else you know quite like it so uh you know probably from the perspective if you're a usc football coach doing some recruiting you're pretty happy about what what that university village looks like for sure. And the reason I bring it up, um, I looked in the, the flyover. I couldn't see our friends at Trader Joe's. There's going to be a new Trader Joe's there. Oh, wow. Which is pretty Great. cool. They're going to be opening, I think it's in August, uh, which will celebrate their 50th year, uh, in business, their 50th year anniversary. But I didn't see, I couldn't see specifically there, but there's going to be a lot of retail there and Trader Joe's is going to be among them. So I, we, we might try to do something special. We'll, we'll figure that out. Like some, like maybe yeah. do a show from, Trader Joe's or something, because uh, they've been they've been great to us with their sponsorship, and uh, you know we love the you know I I love it because I go shopping there all the time, uh, but it should be cool. But I, yeah, I want to see that, so I'm going to find out where they are in the new USC Village. Yeah, we're going to have to take some time and walk through there. I mean, it's just it's been something you you drive by and you know it's there and it's coming and you see it, you know, and you just think, wow, what that's really oh, man, look at this, and. Uh, and now that it's almost here, it is, it is kind of, uh, it's like football season. <laughs> it's, it's almost here and it's kind of like, wow, that, that was quick. Yeah. <laughs> but we wanted to, you know, before we jump in, I did want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's, because they've been great to us, like I said. Um, check it out. I've, I've, we did a lot of stuff on the 4th of July weekend and, uh, that's where we started, Trader Joe's. A lot of specialty stuff, but if you don't go, if you haven't been there, a lot of basics like eggs and milk and butter, all the basics and stuff too. They have great prices on all that. I've, I love the beer and wine, uh, the selections and stuff that, that they have there. Uh, they're free of GMOs, the anything with Trader Joe's name on it. They don't make it with MSG, no artificial flavors or preservatives on the, the Trader Joe's products. So, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's healthy stuff and there's some really great tasting stuff there. So I love it. It's funny. We had Colin Coward on a couple of weeks ago and I didn't really know Dan if, if Colin, like, trader, would talk, you know, uh, shop to Trader Joe's, but turns out he does. So that was cool that we were talking about that a little bit on our show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get the thing I always like was stuff that you don't see anywhere else. Uh, and then, and then the wine selection and all that. And, and it just, uh, and, uh, it's kind of a neat culture. The people that work there, uh, you know, are, are just, uh, interesting people uh so you know it just has a there's something about it that's, that's just different and uh kind of neat to to get it to be involved with uh trader joe's and have it kind of be a a usc thing is is pretty cool all right well uh thanks again to trader joe's and uh we'll let you know more about what's going on at the usc village uh as that gets closer it's getting counted down next month so it's kind of it's going to be here sooner than you know it um we got a bunch of questions, Dan, about the team. So I thought we'd just kind of jump in and talk about it. Uh, Tarek wants to know, there's a lot, a lot of quarterback talk recently. He wants to know, have you seen improvement in Jack Sears during the summer workouts? You know, it's almost, since we're only getting to see him, uh, once a week and, um, uh, 
and we had a, had the two weeks without Sam, so it, it was kind of an abbreviated, you know, workout. Uh, so and you don't know that we were getting, a, you know, a true look. I will say this: one of the things you have seen this summer from Jack is that ability to just put it in gear and take off, and uh, he can he can fly. And so, uh, I mean, I think that's the thing of, of all the things that, that we've seen from him. Uh, and both he and Matt Fink can, you know, can run with the football and, and, and are not hesitant to do so. And, uh, and then when you see Sam, and Sam is more of a run to be able to set up the pass, but not afraid to, you know, to run. But, uh, to have three quarterbacks, all of whom, you know, will gladly tuck the ball away and take off with it is kind of like uh, uh, a little bit of an adjustment in your mindset to, to you know, to see that happen. And, you know, that's kind of kind of neat neat to see it. But uh, but I think the, this, uh, the summer workouts, uh, and by the summer workouts I'm talking about, especially once they get into July, uh, the end of July and they're in pads, I think are really important for Jack. Uh, and we'll see. I think one of those two has to end up as the, you know, Jack or Matt is the backup, and you, you really got to have a designated backup. Although I think, you know, if there were any kind of issue for long term, you know, say with Sam, you'd have to probably drop Jalen Green into that into that mix. But on a, you know, instantaneous during every game, uh, and and every basically week in the game plan, you really have to have the ne- the next guy in line who's ready to go. And, uh, you know, you would think Matt, he is the edge having, you know, gone through, you know, the full, full year and having that much, uh, you know, head of, head of Jack. Uh, but, uh, we'll see. I, I mean, you know, Sam didn't, didn't get to take that red shirt off when he was a freshman. So, uh, uh, you know, we'll just have to watch it and see how, how it develops. But, but, uh, Jack's speed is the thing you noticed and, and the ability to just take off and, and, and not just, you know, pick up a few yards, but the ability to, to beat people deep and beat some, you know, uh, very quick defensive backs and still, you know, split them and, and, and get past them. And Jack can do that. Tark also had a question about uh, Olawale Batiku. Could you see him being used as a third down specialist pass rusher this upcoming season? Yeah, absolutely. Sure, without a doubt. Yeah, they they need to figure out some ways to get more pressure on the quarterback, and I think you'll see them doing some different things depending on you know who they're playing and you know what the tendencies are and all of that. But yeah, I think I think you will you will see that. Although you know I think you know with Porter and and Uchenna and uh, and Connor and Alawale, I I don't you know dismiss the thought that. That you can just have regular rotations as well with, uh, with the two starters and then the two, you know, backups who, if you call Ola Wally and, and, and Connor Murphy backups. Uh, but, uh, but, I, but I think, uh, they hit, yeah, they're going to be doing some things to get, get, uh, get pressure. I was watching the Pac-12 network, uh, yesterday had some, uh, USC Rose Bowl, classic Rose Bowl game. And that's the thing you realize. When you watched, uh, I guess it was a, a USC 2003 uh, against uh, Michigan, and the ability to get to the quarterback, uh, 
really made a difference in that game. USC had so many different ways of, of getting to the, you know, that, that big uh, Navarre, John Navarre kid from Michigan and just didn't allow Michigan to really, you know, get their passing game going. And uh, that was the missing element, I think, last year, uh, was that inability to, to quite get anybody to the quarterback. And they really, they're going to have to, have to do that to be the kind of shutdown defensive team I think this, this team can be. But, uh, Ali probably going to be a part of, of, of that game plan that, that, to get to the quarterback. All right. Let's move on to Jeremiah. He said, uh, I was wondering who should we expect to step up as the quote unquote playmaker this year on defense previous years we've had standouts like leonard williams sua cravens and dory jackson step up to lead i'm curious if you've seen any indicators of the next big defensive playmaker on the current roster thank you again for all you do fight on from jeremiah we don't want to jump anybody and i think there are a lot of you know guys that just like cam smith that go you know go about their business and people are now starting to say you know that He's certainly an All-American candidate in the middle, and they're saying, you know, that, that uh, I'm on Biggie Marshall, an All-American candidate at, at corner, and and we just kind of expect them. I think, you know, I'm on becomes a little, you know, more comp. He's so competitive, but a little more confident in his ability to run with people and, you know, play the ball and all that, and doesn't feel like he's got to grab people or, you know, get get quite as handsy, but. I think Uchenna, uh, Nuosu, uh, will be a big, big play guy. And I think Jamel Cook, uh, you know, we seem to think that he's going to be, uh, maybe start out a corner. And, uh, he just, when you've got a 6'4 guy with his ability to stop and start and, and pursuit, you know, his pursuit angles are, are very precise. And is you know a, you know an aggressive tough tough uh, uh, kid, but I, I might start with those two, uh, Jamal and and Uchenna would be uh, guys that I think you know just have that whatever whatever you're looking for. And I think Port Augustine, but I know people are looking you know because you know he's this you know not quite six five two hundred and seventy pound you know, guy with muscles on his muscles and a guy who's working like crazy on his flexibility, doing the yoga and all that. And uh, I, I look at him as kind of a Devon Kennard guy who it took a little bit. He kept getting closer and closer. He, uh, in his early years, he, he didn't quite make the play. He was in the play, but he didn't quite make the play. I look at maybe Porter to be that kind of a guy this year where he not only gets into the play but makes the play, uh, kind of like, you know, the game he had at, at Washington. Uh, and physically, I think it was kind of a mismatch, with, say, with Porter and, and Jake Browning, uh, uh, the Washington quarterback, where then you get into the game with uh, Penn State where you have Sa- Saquon Barkley, who was he's just so unbelievably talented physically, athletically, for Penn State and Trace McSorley, that was a tough matchup for for anybody. It is a tough matchup, but that's the one you want to see Porter get himself to the place where where he he can uh, you know play people like that in the open field, and uh, 
So, so those would be my my candidates right there to sort of the really breakout guys. Well, thanks for that one, Jeremiah. Um, speaking of Jeremiah, Dan, a little screw up on my part. So Jarrett sent an email, and he said this is for Daniel. Um, if you have him in, um, oh. and I put it, I categorize all the questions that come in in a, a Google document so I can, when I do the podcast, I know, okay, these are all for Dan, whatever. I put this in your category, Dan, but I believe he meant, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, but I think we Daniel can, Jeremiah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we had him on last week and, uh, Daniel would have loved to answer it, but, um, well, look, I understand Daniel went to the opening for the first time. Is that right? He uh, did. We were up there. He, they broadcast NFL network did, and I talked with him quite a while up there and, uh, well, he made a little, he just, uh, he sent, I guess one of his little notes that he said was not to be surprised if, uh, Sam Darnold plays the next two seasons at USC. Now that's got all USC fans hearts fluttering like crazy. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think part of that is if you're from the outside, you look at Sam and you, you realize when you finally, you know, get to be around him and get to know him. He's not somebody who's just like dying to go to the NFL or he's not somebody that, you know, college football isn't the be all and end all of what he's doing. And you realize, wow, this is the kind of kid that isn't going to sit around and, and wondering, you know, what are they saying about me on NFL.com or whatever. And I did like his comment about Sam, Daniel's comment about Sam was how down to earth he was and how, how much, uh, how willing he was to, you know, ask people and, you know, what can I do better and how do I do this and all that. I think he made a, a really good impression. Obviously, he made a good impression by breaking the all-time record on the uh, the quarterback, uh, you know, uh, I guess the, the, you know, counselors who are quarterbacks and they bring in, you know, some of the best college kids from all over the country uh, year after year, and he broke the all-time record in terms of the, you know, that quarterback uh, uh, ranking. Uh, and we still don't know all of the things that were involved in, in what they do, uh, you know, for that uh, that competition. But uh, it was nice to hear that, that Sam uh, broke uh, broke the all-time record. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, Daniel had some glowing things to say about him. You know, he's talking to some sources, and we'll see. There's a long way to go between now and the end of the season, and we'll figure out what, you know. I don't think he probably knows what he's going to do, so it's hard to say. What, and what I think the do. other thing is, I think the more you get around Sam, you realize he may not be somebody who, if all the NFL writers in the world, you know, organize and say, you have to turn pro, you have to go to the NFL, what are you thinking about? I'm not so sure Sam's the kind of guy that will be completely influenced by that kind of, you know, because, you know, the NFL machine does not want to get turned down by a guy who could be the number one pick. That will not be something that the guys whose whole life is the NFL will take, uh, you know, all that kindly. There, there, there's going to be a lot of pressure, but Sam could be the kind of person. I think he really is the kind of person that he doesn't care that much about that kind of pressure, that that won't be, you know, a deciding factor for him. I, I just don't think it will. It could be, I mean, my gut is it, it could be like an Andrew Luck situation where he could have left, he came back, still had another year if he wanted to, but by that time it's like, all right, it's time to move on. So it, I, right. I could see that. Yeah, I could see him. He's got two years after this year. He could split the difference, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you get a degree, you don't, you know, you don't 
stay for the whole time, and yet you, uh, you know, so technically, I guess you could say you're leaving early, but you, you get your degree, and, you know, you give it everything. Out. That wouldn't be, like, the most shocking thing in the world. He'd be turning down a lot of, probably, we would guess, you know, based on all the, the things that, that could certainly happen. He'd, he'd probably be turning down a lot of money, but, uh, you know. It hasn't hurt Andrew Luck, I don't think. No. <laughs> he gets paid pretty well. I think he's like the second highest paid player in the NFL or something. So. Yeah, and Carson Palmer, for example, when he went to Cincinnati, for some reason they decided not to play him a play his, his first year, which nobody's ever really completely understood. Uh, but uh, so, you know, you don't always know what's going to happen and how it's all going to work out. So I think at that point you just say whatever you want to do, whatever is, you know, and, and it's, it'll be interesting to see what Sam wants to do. Yeah. I, I get a sense that Sam will do what Sam wants to do. It's one of the yes. things that makes Sam Sam. For sure. Well, anyway, so Jared's question, and we can answer it. He wanted to know, so for all the USC team, he had three categories. Who are the best athletes? Who has the best football instincts? And the most uh, exciting ceiling. I don't know about exciting ceiling. The most exciting ceiling? Yeah, so I got maybe the highest the highest ceiling, ceiling. The highest ceiling? I would guess that's what he meant, yeah. So so best athlete, who do you think the best athletes are? Mm. That's hard, you know, like. Best athlete. It's interesting. There's so many different ways to look at it. For example, if you look at Jamal Cook at 6'4", and what he can do as a 6'4 kid, he's really, he's really a good athlete. I mean, he's just, you know, terrific, terrific athlete. I mean, there are ways you could look at, you know, Vilas Jones and say, hmm, now there, you know, this kid, you know, between, uh, you know, speed and quickness and strength and, and that sort of thing. Um, I'm trying to think. Like a Josh, J- Josh Mentor Bebe had like a 40-something inch vertical. Like you could say yeah. like that kind of athleticism. I still remember too. watching that. I know they they tested a, a new piece of equipment when he did it, and I was a, a little, you know, uncertain as to how reliable it was. But when you saw the video of it, you thought, "Dang, gone! He, he may have he could jump. <laughs> he may have gotten that high." Uh, and he absolutely—he's the least likely. If you said who's got the highest vertical on this team, you would never pick Josh and Modern Baby. I mean, it's just not going to happen. There are people who will tell you. That Daniel Amater baby at 245 pounds is the strongest guy on the team pound for pound. Uh, and so, you know, stronger than just doesn't know his own ability. Uh, and Wally, uh, Batuku, uh, I mean, how athletic is he? You can do, you watch him walking on it, you know, doing handstands and walking on his hands, you know, at 6'3, 250 pounds. Uh, like Jalen Green being able to play multiple positions and stuff, you know. There are a lot of good. I mean, they don't have that one guy who's like a four-two-forty guy. So, uh, but they got a lot of guys in that next group uh, who can who can fly. Uh, uh, Jack Jones, who when you see his summer photos now, he doesn't look a lot like the same Jack Jones of last year. He's just much more defined and ripped, and uh, and and you see a lot of guys who are you know kind of grown up uh over the last year you do get the sense that um the strength and conditioning is kicking in in a way ways that we haven't seen it 
every year, and that may be just because of the number of really good athletes that were pretty young last year and where they can go. I mean, you look at Rasheem Green and, you know, and Port Augustine, and you think, okay, those are really big guys who have muscles on top of their muscle. You know, <laughs> they just have that, that you know, that look about them. But uh, I'm trying to think, see, who would... You know, Jenny Harris, you might want to put in there. Like he, yeah, he played, I think you're right. you know, corner, quarterback, hadn't played wide receiver since, you know, grade school and then came in one summer and started killing it at wide receiver and then switched back. I mean, so he's definitely athletic. <laughs> yeah. And he's been a, you know, he's been a corner and, uh, uh, looks like he might be the slot guy this year. And he's, he's, he's had a lot of, you know, versatility. Uh, trying to think who would be. And then, you know what? We tend to forget. Sam Darnold. I mean, he was, you know, led Orange County rebounding. I used to, you know, watch Friday night high school basketball games and he's a real, you know, natural scrapper. I mean, he's just a, a guy that he could just play, you know, play basketball. And, and it, that's a, that's a, a way to look, I think, at, at Susan Mote Athletic is just to, who can play the other sports. And, uh, and, and Sam certainly can. Uh, and so, He'd be on my list too. What about like football instincts? I, I kind of think of like a Cameron Smith or Uchenna. I think Musu. he would be my first call. I think you're right. Yep. I think Cameron just seems like he's got that sense about him, uh, you know, where things are going to go and he doesn't have to be in a big hurry because he kind of just has a feel for it. I think Uchenna also has developed, is, has got that real feel for, you know, where things are going and, what I, what you have to do to get there. And, uh, I think the guy who's like a, you know, the, the coach on the field to some extent is Chris Hawkins. Yeah. I would have said him too. Yeah. Yeah. He's got those, those, those instincts and, and, Sam and, Darnold. and, and you, you already Darnold mentioned again, Jalen Green. Uh, he just, <laughs> he, you know, hasn't seemed to get flustered no matter what they do with him. Uh, and, and has executed, you know, he made some, you know, flanker, you know, throwback plays where he's under a lot of pressure and he just seems to you know be able to make the throw without any big deal um so that that's probably where where i would go you know with those guys we're probably not giving people i'd say a nico falla has a lot of uh you know sense about him uh i think he it's one of the reasons he really likes playing center is you're kind of you get a chance to be, you know, the quarterback on the line of scrimmage. And um, he just has a, a, a real sense, I think, uh, and, a, and a comfort level, you know, with doing that. So uh, so those would, those would be some of the ones that, you know, you think about off the top of your head. I think, like, even a Sam Darnold, his instincts are, are spectacular. And uh, oh, Deontay yeah, Burnett wow. maybe, too. Like, he, I think he has really good football instincts. Who's that? I'm Deontay, sorry. Deontay Burnett. Oh, yeah. Oh, ooh, absolutely. I mean, I think the ability to get yourself into the right place at the right time, at the right angle, uh, to find that open space. And both Sam and Deontay can do that. I think that's one of the reasons they work so well as a combination. And I, I do agree with people who, who, uh, you know, and I agree with myself that he, that was the best play of the year than anybody, the best passing play of the year that tied the USC, uh, tied Penn State in the Rose Bowl. And, uh, that was two guys who both seemed to understand where it was going to open up in space. Not very much and, and not very long, but, 
but both had that ability to get away from where they had to get for just that much time. I mean, the thing I'm amazed with Sam is you don't see anybody uh, catching him from behind. He just seems to have that ability to stay out of people's reach. And just the, the thought that, that he so almost so seldom gets uh, taken down by the first guy. And, and, you know, there were issues last year with some of the, you know, the line of scrimmage blocking, you know, and, and guys getting through. And very seldom did that first guy take Sam down. And that's what, again, the Penn State coaches were just marveling at after the Rose Bowl. They did everything they could possibly do with an athletic, veteran, tough team. And no matter who they sent to Sam, they couldn't get him. And the the thing about that and what makes that so special is once Sam beats that first guy, and, and a lot of quarterbacks, when they see that un, unprotected, unblocked guy coming at them, you know, they kind of freeze or they, you know, oh, my, what do I do now? With Sam, it's the opposite reaction. Sam looks at that and says, cool, I'll beat this guy. I'll turn up field. I'll have my eyes downfield. This will give me and my receivers some extra time, and we'll be playing 11 on 10 because the the 10th or the 11th guy on defense, I've already beaten him. He's behind me, and it was just a whole different mindset with uh, with the way Sam Sam's understanding of where he was in space and and time in terms of how much time he had was amazing. I mean, it's just, and again, you can't teach it. You can't coach it. You just got to figure out how to take advantage of it. And it'll be interesting to see what teams do this year to try to not let Sam do that. I mean, you think, gosh, should we be blitzing? Should we be trying to send somebody free? Because if they don't get him, USC immediately has the advantage. And uh, that's what was so difficult to pick up in last uh, August practice because you don't go live. So, therefore, very often, you know, the play stops when a, a, you know, a defensive guy gets near the quarterback. But as it turned out, when it got to real games, that defensive guy never stopped the play. And you didn't ever get the benefit of knowing what you were going to get with Sam totally until you saw him in live action in real games. And uh, and I don't know how you would even be able to do that. You almost can't play live on the quarterback in practice. And yet you can't see Sam for what he is unless you play live because, again, that first guy is not going to take Sam down. And the last one was the uh, most exciting ceiling, and it- to me, I'll just go like, okay, we know like Sam Donald, you know, could be a first round pick and number one pick or something like that. But maybe guys that are, aren't, I mean, you know, aren't there yet that have a lot, you know, there's a lot more upside. Like a guy like Oluwali Patiku, who we haven't seen as much of, looks like the best player ever. Um, so someone like that, I would probably put on that list. Yeah. And I, I'm really interested in, in what Marlon Tui Palutu and, uh, and Jay Tufale, I mean, we haven't seen him at all, Jay. Uh, what is their ceiling, you know, year one? I mean, I think they may have a chance to, to really be, you know, be a contributor. But-
but I don't know. I think you know, Jamel Cook, uh, who knows what his ceiling is. But, uh, but I think, you know, you know, we may find out. Uh, and Jack Jones maybe as a return guy. Uh, and, and somebody who's going to get some offensive reps. I'll, I'll be real interested to see, you know, how they figure out how to get him the ball in space and, and, and how they do the same thing for, you know, Vilas Jones to, to get him the ball in space. Cause I think they're going to be more creative. I think they're going to take more advantage of all the things that Sam can do. And, uh, they're really going to try to create, you know, the kind of mismatches where, they're going to have people, you know, going to be like long handoffs to, to flankers and things like that, uh, where you don't have enough people to cover them. Um, so, and I think another guy, uh, well, I think the tight end group as a whole, I'm excited about their ceiling as a group, uh, the way they're going to, should be able to get mismatches against either linebackers or safeties. And, and the way Sam ought to be able to take advantage of that, 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 you know, they've each got different, you know, skill sets, but, you know, you're talking about some pretty athletic, uh, you know, guys can run, jump, catch it, uh, real good size. And, uh, I just, you know, we'll see how, how this all works out. I mean, you know, we can say a whole lot of things about all of these, you know, answer all these questions. The players are going to answer the questions, <laughs> yes. and that's where the answers are. And they're going to come in, and uh, you know, end of July, and and they're going to start giving us uh, a lot of these answers. But uh, uh, I mean, it's fun to speculate uh, on all of this, but uh, but they've got enough guys that you think they're going to have enough answers. I mean, that's the key: is you have more answers than you know that opponent has. You know, has questions. You know, they, they, you know, they're going to have to figure out how to stop this and this and this. And maybe, uh, maybe it's Ronald Jones. Uh, there's a guy, Phil Steele, has him ranked as the number three running back in the nation behind, uh, I guess, uh, Barkley at Penn State. And I think, uh, the Darius Geis at LSU. Well, if Ronald Jones is the number three running back in the country, uh, USC fans are going to be pretty happy about how this year is going to turn out. Uh, and he does do some things that, uh, that you don't see anybody else do. So, uh, again, and he's doing them at 205 pounds now. He's, he's enough bigger. He's more Reggie Bush size at this point and doesn't look like he's really lost anything. I mean, he hasn't lost anything. He may be, maybe quicker and stronger with, with that little extra power, but, uh, but he might be one who's feeling it will be fun to, to see where where it actually where it goes. Well, thanks for that question, Jared. Sorry I didn't ask Daniel Jeremiah, but hopefully we uh, did it justice for you. And we did this off the top of our head. We didn't do any research, so if we miss somebody, someone glaring obvious, email us and we'll uh, talk about it on the next show. Um, got a question from Hawaii. It says, first off, love the podcast and all the great updated action on our Trojans." Well, thanks for that. Uh, so I've been a diehard fan the majority of my life. And I feel like USC has the greatest uniforms in college football, both in the past and present. Question to Dan. Do you know if USC might tweak their uniforms for a little, a little bit for a game or two in the future? I do love the little changes to the helmet and face mask and also the jersey we had last year. Mahalo from Hinano, I believe you pronounce his name. So somewhere in Hawaii. Okay. Hinano. Uh, yeah. 
I agree with you. I think the the classic look is is great. The no names on the back is is great. The the little tweaks I think have have worked with the helmet. Uh, you probably don't want to get too much color on the on the white jersey because I think the the combination of the you know the gold pants and the white jerseys, the road the road look with the you know the cardinal helmet I think is is the really good look and. Uh, uh, I mean, as somebody who lived through the era of the Ronald McDonald shoes and the black socks, uh, uh, I get nervous when anybody says tweak, uh, with the uniforms. I just, you know, I like, I'm, you know, and I think for Oregon, that was fine. But if you're Maryland or somebody or Kentucky and you, and, and you think people care about, you know, what combination of uniforms are you going to have today? I mean, I'll be honest, it's almost not fair, but I would, I would happen to be perusing one of the UCLA websites. And I would guess that about, oh, what would it have been? 200 out of the first 300 posts on one of the sites was about their new Under Armour uniform deal. And my thinking is, if you're posting to that extent about the new uniform deal, um, maybe it's going to be a long year. <laughs> you know, or, I mean, if you're saying, well, I really like the outline on the, on the, on the numbers, or could we get the numbers in a different font? I'm not sure I like that font, and I'm thinking might want to start worrying about football and not uh, you know football uniforms. But uh, but I was taken back. It was just the other day, and I thought, wow, there's a lot of uniforms. And I don't mean you know your question because I do think USC fans really need to know that that USC classic look. I mean, I think they. And I don't even say tweaked it. It's just been upgraded in a way that it looks as good as, you know, as you can possibly make it look when you're doing the cardinal and gold, uh, and, 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 uh, and just the way everything works together, I think, uh, you know, to get back to the black shoes and the white socks and the white, you know, shoe, you know, shoelaces and all of that. It's just, has a cla- it has both a classic look and an upgraded look, and you know you don't need to do a whole lot to it. Uh, you want people to not have to guess who you are when you when you come out on the field. Um, Dan, I'm I'm not going to accuse you of anything here, but I feel that you probably emailed John and Brea and asked him to ask you this question because it seems like a softball okay. that's something that you were going to love to rant about. Um, so I'll. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but it, okay. this is John's question. So he said, it seems to me Lynn Swan should be settled into the job and ready to have an impact on the future of USC athletics. He's been in the position as one of the highest paid athletic administrative uh, positions across the country for over 14 months now. In your opinion, what are the top three things Lynn Swan has accomplished so far as AD, and what are the top one or two things he should do when he gets to the office tomorrow. Thanks and fight on, John and Brad. I'm like, this is right up Dan's alley, so go ahead, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't overreact with Clay last year. I think that was the one and three Clay. He, uh, 
He did not. I think he maybe was doing some due diligence to what if, what if, what if. But I think, I think that was, that was a really, you know, that was a really good thing. I think at this point, I've asked a lot of people and they, if you want a second thing, they tell me absolutely resources is resource, you know, having enough money to do what they have to do is absolutely not a problem. And, as I look at the numbers on the USC football staff, uh, they're bringing in an analyst here and an analyst there and, and finding a job for someone who's two years or up as a, uh, as a grad assistant and, you know, who they want to keep on the staff and that kind of thing. Uh, that, you know, there were some questions earlier in the year about, you know, where the recruiting staff was going, but, it seems to be in the ballpark. Uh, so I, 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 I'm more encouraged there. And I know the coaches, I mean, I certainly, Clay has, has told me that yes, absolutely, you know, we are not, uh, you know, hesitant to, to do, you know, to ask for what we need and, 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 and to get it. So I think that's, uh, the second thing. Uh, number three, uh, hmm. I think I have three things I'd like him to do, though. Uh, yeah, let's, do, let's sure. do that. That's more, yeah. <laughs> three, three things I'd like him to do. Number one, I think they really got to start looking ahead. Well, number one, I think just because of the timing issue, I think it's the Coliseum. And I know it's, if you're land, you know, and you say, gosh, these decisions were made by people outside the athletic department, whether that was the way it should have been or not, and well before I got here, I still might, I'd rather have, I'd like him to take a real serious look at that. I wouldn't mind if he were the guy who advocated to, uh, you know, President Nikias that he would probably, he would be willing and maybe hoping that USC would bring in an outside architect or architects from, you know, maybe some with USC ties who work for some of the, the real leading uh, architectural firms in sports stadium design to take a look at the plan. And, and so that would be my number one thing. Number two, I think, would be to take a serious look at the Pac-12 uh, whole TV situation and possibly does that bleed over into number three, which is the future of the Pac-12 and USC's place in it. Because I think by the time the 2023-24 season gets here, when you, when the Pac-12 renegotiates, uh, and you hate to, you know, you keep mentioning this, but between the time the Pac-12 uh, started in 2012 with this new contract, and finishes up in 2024, the Big Ten will have negotiated three contracts. And is anyone surprised that the Big Ten is so far ahead of USC, both in its, uh, you know, TV contract and its TV network, and, you know, is going to be producing something like $20 million per school more than the Pac-12 uh, contract and network is producing for the Pac-12. So, we can't keep waiting, you know, where 
where you know you're being told by Pac-12 commissioner, you know Larry Scott, that well someday this is all going to work out. Someday the fact that we kept our our right, uh, you know, the Pac-12 held on to its tier three rights, for example, whereas you know Texas gets 15 million extra a year for the Longhorn Network, or Oklahoma gets eight million a year, you know, for their rights. And where every single team in the Big 12 gets more money from their their third-level rights, those are the rights that are not the over-the-air ABC-type rights. They're not the cable rights, ESPN and Fox. It's the next level. And every single team in the pack and the Big 12 gets more money than the Pac-12 gets from the network. And you know, should USC be? Let's say USC has three games this year that they give to the Pac-12 network, and they've got 20 basketball games. Like last year, uh, USC had 20 basketball games on the Pac-12 network. Well, what would those games be worth? If you took those games that are going to the Pac-12 network, football and basketball, and for the whole deal, USC's getting a million and a half dollars from the Pac-12 network. And I know people will say, yeah, but they're getting the, you know, volleyball and the, you know, water polo games and soccer games are on and blah, blah, blah. But really, how much would those games be worth US to USC if they did what they did in the big, to in the big 12 and kept the rights and sold them, uh, and packaged them and sold them themselves? Now, obviously the big deal is if USC does that, UCLA does that, Oregon State can't do that. So Oregon State now is getting the same amount from the TV contract and the same amount from the network, Pac-12 network, as USC is. In 2024, that is, there is no possible way that's going to be the case. There's no way. I'm sorry. It isn't going to happen. And I think USC and, and, and Lynn with his background with, uh, with ABC Sports and all that, or I think it was ABC, uh, it was at CBS now. I'm, I can't remember which, no, he which was ABC, of the network. Yeah. He was ABC. It was ABC. Yeah. With his contacts in the business, I just think he's in a good place to help USC figure it out. And I think USC is going to have to do what's best for USC. And I don't think we even know because of the way uh, games are going to be watched and distributed and packaged and sold. And, you know, where does, you know, Google and Netflix and Amazon and all those things come in in the next six years. I don't think we have any idea, but I think those would be the things I'd be working on really big time. Uh, and to get back to the Coliseum, the other part of that Coliseum thing is I'd be looking at all the people who are going to have to be reseated next year and the year after if this goes through. And I'd be, I'd be thinking those 9,000 people that are going to have to be reseated, and then everybody else who's going to have to be reseated as a result of those nine, and thinking, how are we going to make all those phone calls? And how do we, you know, come in in a stadium, you know, that has so few sideline seats and take out 9,000 of them? And more than that, once we figure out how many seats are going to be not have, you know, going to have an, a, you know, obstructed view of the other end zone with that big building. Um, I might start putting together a list of, of all the people that, 
they're going to have to call and how they're going to handle that and say, maybe we don't want to do this. Maybe we need to figure out another way. So anyway, those would be my uh, my priorities, uh, you know, for Athletic Director Swan. Because this is a great year. I mean, you're going into this year. USC is the only program in the country that has a preseason top 10 football and basketball program. I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, people are like, basketball? You know, really? And things are going great. But once they tear out those 9,000 seats from the Coliseum, you know, all the euphoria about this year, I think, has the potential to go away. And uh, I wouldn't want to be involved in that if I were anybody at the top of the USC Athletic Department. I think I'd try to avoid uh I'd, I'd avoid that at all costs, and I think there are ways to do that. But uh, but I think you better get on them right away. Yeah, there's a big softball one for you, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was good. Well, the last yeah. the last few topics are, are about the athletic department outside of football too. So we'll we'll hit on these pretty briefly, I think. But um, Paul in Vegas wants to know. I like Dan's idea of a women's softball team at USC. Uh, if there's lots of talent in Southern California. However, if he, as he, if he points out there aren't enough baseball scholarships available for us to put a championship team on the field for the men, how does that inadequate, inadequacy, excuse me, translate to the women's team? Thanks, Paul in Vegas. No, I think there's a couple of differences. One, I think the women, the women are allowed more scholarships. Yeah, a lot more. And they aren't, they don't need as many players. You know, you need, minimum 25, probably 30 players to have a decent uh, nationally competitive baseball program, and you get 11.7 scholarships. I think the women, for some reason, in my head, it's like 13 or whatever for softball. But softball, you basically need two pitchers. You know, you need nine other players and, you know, a couple of subs. So with with softball... You basically, the allowable scholarship allows you to put together the full team. You don't have to be packaging up, you know, half scholarship here and a half scholarship there and all of that. The other advantage for USC is that every guy that plays college baseball thinks he's going to make it to the major league. And that's all they care about, mostly, you know. And there are so many programs in Southern California that you can get to the major leagues through that when the the time comes and you say, well, do you want to have scholarship at USC and you pay 30,000 a year? Or do you want to have scholarship at UCLA or, you know, you see Irvine or wherever and you, you know, you pay 10,000 or whatever it would be. Uh, so it's so much more difficult for USC to get back to a competitive situation. It's not like Vanderbilt where there's nobody around that's competing for those players in Tennessee or or Stanford where they can offer a full scholarship to any kid whose family income's under a hundred thousand dollars, or Rice where again there's nobody competing in in you know in their you know the metropolitan Houston area or TCU where they basically have you know wide open if you want to be on a top program in the Dallas Fort Worth area you go to TCU, but in Southern California you've got so many other choices that it's, it's darn near impossible for baseball, I think, under these circumstances to compete. Um, and I wish USC, maybe that would be the third thing on Lynn's list, is figure out a way 
to try to get the rules changed in, uh, in the NCAA for baseball scholarships and, and point out that what's happening now is they've almost made it impossible. There are almost no minorities playing college baseball because the opportunity, uh, you know, is better either to sign with a minor league, you know, uh, sign a minor league contract or play another sport. And so you do not see, uh, you know, I mean, you know, they're, they're pricing out minority athletes in college baseball. And I push hard to say to the NCAA, maybe this is, you know, one of those unforeseen consequences, but, uh, you really need to change the rules so kids can go, you know, to high school. And if they're really a great baseball player, you know, and every once in a while, you know, you have the kid, gosh, from, uh, Notre Dame, Ventura Notre Dame that has a 102 mile an hour fastball and was, uh, you know, picked, uh, was he second? First or second? Second, I guess, in the, uh, in the major league, you know, draft. But, uh, uh, I think they're really being unfair, but because they want to, uh, even out the scholarship numbers because of Title IX and football takes so many of those, uh, the women's softball, uh, has enough scholarships and USC I think could be immediately nationally competitive in almost uh, you know second third year I mean if you if you watch the NCAA you know softball tournament half the players on half the teams are from Southern California I don't care if you're looking at Michigan or you know Alabama or Oklahoma or whoever uh, and they you know, they, they start coming up to the plate one at a time and half of them are from Southern California. It's truly amazing. If you had your choice and, and when you're recruiting softball players, uh, the degree from the university really matters because they're not looking to go play, uh, major league softball somewhere. They really are looking for where's the best place for me to go to college. I think USC could be extremely competitive. In, uh, in terms of recruiting, uh, you know, softball players in Southern California. So, uh, I can't, you know, push that idea hard enough, uh, how good it's, how good women's softball would be for USC. Yeah. And they get 12 scholars. I thought they had more. It was my mistake. Well, I, I think I'm more. They get 12. 12 still enough. I mean, you, basically yeah. none of those teams have more than two really, you know, serious pitchers and, and you might have a third, but they never, you know, they never get used and then you know you got the nine players in the field and that's pretty much it yeah you can pretty much do the job the the scholarship limit would not hurt a usc softball team anywhere near the way it hurts a usc baseball team yeah um west in chicago another uh non-football sport non-football question so i love the podcast keep up the great work uh thanks wes Utah's announced it will begin Division One men's lacrosse in 2019. I cannot believe Utah would make such a commitment without knowing other Pac-12 schools would add men's lacrosse. Do you think USC will add men's lacrosse? Thanks and fight on from Wes. Well, I know that when USC added women's lacrosse, the theory was it would get USC to the East Coast for recruiting and to play games and just get them into, you know, schools where they produce lacrosse players, uh, which also produce the kind of students that USC was looking for. So I've always heard that that was one of the, the you know, the thoughts behind USC going lacrosse. And is, is that one of the thoughts, 
processes for say a Utah where they're looking to attract more students, you know, from the east. I mean, lacrosse is the fastest growing um, high school sport. I don't think there's any question about that. It's uh, it's kind of a you know, you look at it. They had the uh, I guess it was at the World Youth Lacrosse Tournament on over the weekend, also from Denver, and it's kind of a yuppie, you know, sport. I mean, it's you know a lot of a lot of kids that when they introduce themselves, they all you couldn't understand them that well because they all have braces. Uh, but uh, you know, it's just it's a sport that that you know that's it's coming. On. I don't, you know, I I would not think it would be. <clears throat> Utah is doing some interesting things. They also have an intercollegiate, what's the word for it? Uh, you know, there's, uh, oh, where they, they have like the world of, you know, war and all those kind of games. What are the, oh, great, yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, like e, uh, e, the esports, I guess. But esports. Yeah. Well, they have an intercollegiate, e, they started one this year at Utah. They have an intercollegiate esports team with scholarships. I don't know if USC is going that route either because the more men's scholarships, the, you really got to figure out a way to balance it with the women. But I think Utah has decided they're going to probably do some different things to try to, you know, maybe get their student body uh, more national, more, you know, get a more diverse, uh, you know, student body than, uh, than you know, is available to them in, uh, in Salt Lake City. So, uh, but... Uh, I wouldn't think you're going to see men's lacrosse at USC. Would not. Uh, I'd be surprised. Uh, I would think if I were USC and I had, if they said which sport you're going to start, I think I'd start men's soccer. You got you already, you know, you got women's soccer, and you know the facilities and all of that are, you know, I mean obviously USC's got men, you know women's lacrosse as well. I just think uh, uh, the men's soccer would be. A little bit more, uh, you know, compatible, you know, with Southern California. And, uh, you know, that would be the way I would go over, over lacrosse. Um, we got one from Dan, last one, Dan, class of 1962. He said, USC football will always be top tier, especially with Coach Helton at the helm. However, as a very old Trojan, I'm concerned about our total sports program. Coach Enfield is doing great with basketball, and some of the women's sports are terrific, along with men's water polo. The thing is that the successful sports at USC have in common is great coaching and recruiting numbers. This is not true for the spring sports, especially swimming and diving, track and field, and baseball. When is USC going to take the lead on increasing scholarship limitations for those sports? I don't like uh, Title IX being used as an excuse because we should be raising the scholarship limits for men's and women's sports. Why aren't we pushing the NCAA to allow universities to spend more on increased student scholarships instead of just coaches' salaries and facilities? At the very least, we need a minimum of 20 full scholarships in swimming and diving for both men and women, track and field for men and women, and for baseball. In fact, baseball should have 25, just like the minor league teams. Thanks for letting this old Trojan rant about this pet peeve. I'm proud that USC has more Olympic medal winners than any other university in the world and more countries. In most countries, fight on, Dan, USC class of 1962. And I can understand that because it is kind of sad that the scholarship limitations have hit the two sports that USC had by far the greatest tradition in, in American college sports in uh, baseball and track and field, and that both of those have really been whacked 
by uh, by scholarship limitations, and that's really that's a shame. And whether you could do it in all the sports, but I I would like to see USC. That would be the second one that both push the the baseball and the and the track and field. I think USC would 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 benefit greatly by pushing pushing hard and making the point that you're you've really limited minority scholarship opportunities uh, the way the NCA has done this, and it's really unfair. Uh, and you know something ought to change. I think I'd be great if USC took the lead there and said, you know, we're we're going to make the case that you know you you you're pricing out you know these minority kids from places like USC and and that's just not fair to USC and it's not fair to those kids and um i think that's a that's a really good point i will say this though USC just finished a year where they were almost number 3 in the nation in uh, for the Learfield Sports Cup they 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 were one point behind Florida had Florida not won the um and say baseball championship, USC would have been number three in the nation, uh, behind Stanford. And for the life of me, I, I blank out on who's number two, but Stanford wins it every year because they, you know, have the ability to basically, uh, you know, give everybody with less than $100,000 family income a full scholarship in all sports, all students. So it's not exactly, you know, and they've got whatever, 30, 30 sports at Stanford, but but USC was uh, I think the USC women were number two in the nation. I think they compete for the Honda Cup. And then when you put the women and the men together, USC was a very close uh, fourth and and almost tied for third overall in uh, best athletic programs in the nation. Uh, I know USC's women were significantly uh, better than the men or women at second. I think the men were in the top 15, but, uh, but they're hanging in there in ways in which it's pretty difficult. I mean, for example, USC nationally has a far better track program right now than UCLA. But when they do the dual meet, there are so many events that, uh, where US, UCLA's walk-ons are just superior because USC runs out of bodies and, and they can't even, you know, enter people in some of the, you know, some of the events. So UCLA almost always wins, certainly in the men's, almost always wins, uh, the dual meet with USC with a far inferior track and field team. Uh, it's just the way the scholarships work. And, and, and I think that's a great idea for, for USC to be the, somebody pushing hard to at least uh, expand those scholarships and, uh, and, uh, and, and track and field. And, uh, and that way you could do it for both men and women, women at the same time. Uh, the harder one is baseball because then maybe, maybe you just say, look, you know, five more scholarships in baseball and softball and, and keep it comparable. Uh, that's, that's how I, that's how I'd like to see it go. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Man, off season, nothing like really exciting going on. And we still talk for over an hour about USC football. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, those are some good questions and those are some interesting points. I think that I do think USC has a chance to, to maybe be a leader in, in pushing some of these, uh, you know, things that, that, that take care of the unintended consequences of some of these scholarship limitations. I mean, it's, it's, it's a shame that you don't see, I mean, there were more, 
minority umpires in the College World Series last week at Omaha than there were players. Well, that's crazy. Oh, wow. I mean, that's just crazy. But that's where college baseball has gone. I mean, and there just aren't, you know, enough scholarships to attract, you know, kids uh, when they're younger to stay with baseball. So, I mean, here's a, you know, in the, in the town that, you know, where Jackie Robinson came out of, out of UCLA and to, to not, you know, have that opportunity for so many of, the, you know, so many of those kids is, uh, is really kind of a shame. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. You can follow him, uh, all of his, uh, stories and columns up on uscfootball.com, uh, on Twitter too. It's at Dan Weber 3440 at D Weber 3440, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. At the Weber 3440. He likes to tweet out interesting takes. So check that out. You can follow me at Inside Troy. But Dan, thanks so much for uh, coming on and talking some USC football with us. Very much enjoyed it. Thanks for all the good questions, guys. All right. That's Dan Weber. Check him out on the site, uscfootball.com. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.